All right. Hey, we wanted to give you um, an update on what's going on with Belize because you all were super, super generous. And we literally collected thousands and thousands of dollars to help our brothers and sisters in Belize. And, you know, we've been going there. Actually, if we would have gone this year, I believe this would have been our, our 13th year going to Belize. So we've been going for a long time. We've developed relationships. We've seen five-year-olds grow up to be 17 and 18-year-olds. So we've seen a lot of change. We've seen a lot of uh, the Lord doing some amazing things there. And when this whole thing with the coronavirus hit, um, they, they literally shut down their borders, as you know. And they still have their borders shut down. There's, the airport's not open. Um, they're still basically under lock and key. Um, far worse, um, or I'd say far more extreme maybe, than even some of our states here in the U.S. So you could only leave for very limited reasons just to get gas or food, essentially, for no other reason. So they were really hit hard in an economy that the yearly income um, is just four digits, you know, about $8,000. And they just live uh, paycheck to paycheck. Getting shut down like that hit them really hard. So you guys were gracious to send um, thousands of dollars that we were able to get to a few pastors. Pastor Smith, who's been very faithful. I mean, just think of the time to, to take that and then pray and figure out who needs help and how to get them the food and everything. He's been working tirelessly for his community, for his church. Also, Pastor West, we were able to get some funds. Um, to his community. We've also were able to help um, Pastor Ed. I know um, some of you don't know Pastor Ed, but he's in um, a different district in Belize. Great man of God, privileged to work with him. He actually took some of the money that we gave him, and um, he actually has an international ministry. Uh, At some point, it'd be great to be able to have him share, um, maybe through Zoom or something like that. Uh, But he has an international ministry where he's connected in Guatemala, Honduras and some uh, and some other countries, El Salvador. So he took some of the money that we gave him because that it was enough for him at that point um, to to get along for a few weeks and sent it to uh, Guatemala and to El Salvador. So we uh, were privileged to be a part of literally helping hundreds of people, really literally with their daily bread, with their daily bread. So I I want to commend you and thank you liberty for your generosity you guys i mean you guys did it overnight we were raising thousands of dollars so hats off to all of you we're going to see a short video that um pastor ed made so he's the one videoing it and then at the end um his he pastor ed's bilingual his wife um speaks primarily spanish so she's going to speak in spanish and then there'll be a translator there so let's check out this video So thank you, Pastor Smith. Thank you, Pastor West. Thank you, Pastor Ed, for your ministry to your country, to your people. We love you all. Uh, Because they're kind of in an extreme lockdown, they've actually encouraged their their members, because they cannot meet still, um, to log in and and, uh, live stream our service. So a number of their members have been able to do that. You'll see some of them make comments in the Facebook thread, so that's, that's kind of fun. All right, turn with me. To Genesis chapter 4. It says in verse 1, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, 
and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you walk the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Let's pray. Father, Bless the preaching of your word today. Bless the work that you have going on. We pray for our country in the midst of everything that's going on, that the church would be the church. We pray, God, the truth would go forth from your pulpits today. We pray, God, that you would do a work in the heart of this nation. We pray, God, for transformation at the heart level. God, we ask for a revival. Lord, we ask that you would take what the enemy has meant for evil and use it for good. Lord, use us in such a time as this. Amen. Why is it so easy for us to answer the question that was asked to Cain, the very one that he wasn't willing to answer? Where is Abel your brother. I mean, we know where Abel, his brother, was, right? I mean, he's dead, rotten in the field. The, the vultures are, are picking at him. But what, is, what does Cain do? He dodges the question, right? And he throws back a question at God, not a wise thing to do. Am I my brother's keeper? Uh, and, and Cain actually thinks the answer is no. Like, am, am I responsible for him? But actually, when you read through the scriptures and study it, I mean, the answer is yes. We are our brother's keeper. How are we our brother's keeper? Well, we're our brother's keeper when we don't do certain things to one another. This can be physical abuse. This can be verbal. Anything that's not of God, then anything that he commands us not to do, we don't do. Our brother's keeper is, is such that we want to be gracious and loving. That means there are certain things we won't do to people. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says, starting in verse 17, Did I take advantage of, of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, 
and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Are those things that we would practice towards one another? Can't hear you. Okay. No. Is there any place in the church for quarreling, for jealousy, for anger, for hostility, for slander, for gossip, for conceit, for disorder? No, there's no place for that in the house of God. There's no place for it. There's no place for it in our society. So there's certain things that when we are our brother's keeper, there's certain things we actually don't do, including this. Now, if these are things that can harm people mentally, emotionally, how much more so when, we, when you start to talk about physically doing something against somebody to cause harm? So any type of thing like that, I mean, Jesus sums it up well, right, with the golden rule. Do unto others. So we have things we don't do, but we also have things that we do do. Look at Galatians chapter 6. In verse 10, he says this, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So there's certain things we don't do. There's certain things we do do. We do the good. We do the righteous. We do the holy. We love. We're merciful. We're gracious. We walk in the fruit of the Spirit. We're doing good. Now, let me say this. Most black pulpits will say something about George Floyd today. Maybe all of them. Many white ones will not. Now, I actually don't think it's wrong if on this particular day, uh, a white pastor does not specifically address um, the issue of racism or what happened this past week for a couple of reasons. One, it's actually possible he's planning on doing a series sometime later in the year, and it's in his plan to address it at that time in more detail. It's also possible <clears throat> that he, need, he himself needs more time to study, to reflect, and to make sure he understands exactly what the Word of God says. To speak with passion and emotion, but also speak with reason and well-thought thinking. It's also maybe possible he wants to make sure his heart is right before speaking. And it's also possible maybe he knows his church isn't ready for it. And he's shepherding them to a place they can receive that hard truth. Now sometimes you give hard truths when people aren't ready to receive it or whether they're ready to receive it or not. Uh, but there's wisdom, and, and pastors are encouraged, especially new pastors, when they first come to a church, don't just go in there and, and hammer away at the top five things that you think are, are wrong with that particular church. It's just not going to go well. And the bottom line is it's, it's really not a loving thing to do. They need to be shepherded. They need to be encouraged. They need to be brought along, just like parents with their children in training. You don't dr drop a list of 25 things they have to do starting tomorrow. You bring them along. You bring them along. Pastors, when we're, when we're wanting to encourage people in their spiritual growth, we, we want to encourage you 
step by step by step. So those things are possible. But I will say, I do think it's wrong if the white pulpits never address the issue at all. And that's happening, and that's unfortunate. See, the easiest sin to preach against is someone else's sin. So I can't just preach against the sins that, that we don't do. All right, I get a lot of amens when I do that. <laughs> and I can't, uh, <clears throat> I can't let slide the sins that we do do. That wouldn't be faithful of me. And I can't just preach against the sins we don't do and not preach against the sins that, that we're tempted towards. Maybe something resides in our heart that the Lord needs to root out. So to be a faithful minister of God means I'm going to speak on topics that you don't want me to speak on. It means I'm going to speak on topics you don't think are necessary. It means I'm going to speak on topics that you don't want to hear about. It means I'm going to speak on topics that make you, make you feel uncomfortable. Listen, that doesn't sell well with the world, friends. That doesn't sell well with parts of Christianity, sadly. But I'm not here to sell anything. I'm here to offer freely the truth of the gospel and the scriptural truths that are found in it. So here's the thing. Anytime you're hearing the word, don't, don't judge it by how you feel. Don't judge it by how you feel. Judge it by its truthfulness and its accuracy to Scripture. That's how you should, that, that's how you should be. Now, <clears throat> we're, we're, proudly, uh, we're proud to say that we're a pro-life church. Amen? Here's the thing for us. If we're going to be pro-life, we've got to be pro-life across the board. All right, from, as one of my friends said the other day, from the womb to the tomb, all right, from birth to death. And if we're going to be pro-life across the board, we've got to be faithful to be pro-life across the board, okay, because every single human life matters. Why is that? We can make statements like that. That's an assertion. But what is the evidence? What is the proof that backs up an assertion like that? It's because all people, every single person, all people are made in the image of God. That gives them worth. It gives them worth. Being in the image of God means you're valuable. This means even a criminal has worth. This means even a hardened criminal has worth. Now, if we made a comparison with everyone in this room, everyone viewing online, and we decided to compare ourselves to one another. The Bible says not to do that, by the way. But if we did that, and we, and we compared ourselves, and we tried to place ourselves on a, on, a, on a graph or whatever, we might be at different places spiritually. Some a little bit above, a little more mature, some a little bit less, right? But we'd have different spots on that graph. But if all of a sudden we brought God into the picture, like that line pretty much flattens out when, when we're compared to God. It's kind of like I was looking online the other day <clears throat> at all the uh, cases of, of COVID in Missouri, and they, they were trying to represent the scale by including on the same scale how many daily cases, but also showing how many total cases. So I, I, I'll probably mess up the numbers a little bit, but there's a total of like in Missouri, I think like 10 or 1,000 cases, maybe 12 or whatever. Um, but then they're trying to show... so. The little daily number, I mean, it just looks like this flat line. 
straight across, even though some days there might have been 50, some days there was 300, some days there was 25 cases. But if you just look at it, why? Because they've, they've kind of messed up the scale, so to speak, trying to put the fact that there's 10 or 12,000 total cases. So you see this thing way up here and then this little flat line going across the bottom. But when, when we compare ourselves, not just with one another, but if we compare ourselves with unbelievers, if we compare ourselves with, with the world and then we bring God into the picture, I mean, it is a flat line and it's an accurate picture. Is we're pretty much on level ground. The Bible says, by nature, we're children of wrath. And if we compare ourselves even with hardened criminals, the truth is this. Our thoughts, our ideas, our sins are much more in line with that hardened criminal than they are with God. It's true. That speaks more to where we're at, but it also speaks to how amazing and awesome and high and beautiful and glorious God is. There is no comparison to our great God and how far above he is. He is more holy and righteous than we will ever possibly imagine getting close to. He's infinitely those things. So when we talk about George Floyd and the value of his life and how it was snuffed out from him, it it doesn't matter if George wrote 100 bad checks. It doesn't matter if George was the king of bad check writing. It doesn't matter if he gave that clerk hundreds and hundreds of bad forged bills, if that's even the case. It doesn't matter if he robbed the store. Why? One word. It's a compound word, but it's one word. Image bearer. Image bearer. He bore the image of God. He was made in God's image. That gives him worth and dignity. Now, I appreciate all the stories that I've seen online about the, the good things that George has done. Um, it looks like he was involved in, in church. It looks like he was baptizing people. It looks like he was a believer. It looks like he had a walk with the Lord. They're trying to make George real to us. I appreciate that. They're trying to help us see how this man who did so much for others had his life terminated. And maybe that helps us be more upset about it. I understand that. But he was an image bearer. And that alone makes the difference. So making, making, telling us all these great things, which is good and should be done, it doesn't matter if he had done horrible, atrocious things. Because of image bearer. Image bearer. Look at Psalm 130. It starts out, verse 1, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And then look what he says in verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? I mean, could you stand? I couldn't stand. And we need to be, we need to be careful because... One of the things I think we should do on a regular basis is you need to ask, ask yourself this. Am I a Pharisee? That's, that's the greatest, one of the greatest dangers for anyone who is involved in the church, who goes to church, who calls himself a believer. You need to ask yourself, are you a Pharisee? Because the Pharisees, they would say, 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 say all the right things. They'd say it. They'd be the, the ones on Facebook right now denouncing things left and right. They would say the right things. But guess what? They didn't do. They said, 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 but they didn't do, do, do. And Jesus tells them at some point, look, you guys got the right theology? You just aren't practicing it. 
you got the right stuff, but you're not living it out. And, you know, the pro-choicers, they say humans are valuable outside the womb, but not inside the womb. Well, we need to be careful we're not guilty of the same, but in an inverse way. Valuable in the womb, but not outside the womb. Because George had value inside his mother's womb, yes? Then he has value outside his mother's womb. People's worth doesn't change based on their location. People's worth doesn't change based on their skin color. Amen? People's worth doesn't change based on their deeds. Amen? Okay, there might be consequences for their deeds, but it doesn't change their worth. Friends, uh, we've, we've addressed this issue, and we're willing to address this issue as pastors in this church. We've had people leave this church because we've confronted them on the issue of racism. That's a fact. There's no place for it in God's church. There's no place for it in this church. Here's the thing as we as believers need to be careful of. Satan loves to take an issue like this and divide believers. I mean, if you've been on Facebook or any social media, um, believers have a, a diversity of opinion. Some of them very wise, some of them rather foolish, but they have a diversity. Friends, Satan has a doctorate in church division, okay? He's got a doctorate. And he's taken all the classes, and he's gotten straight A's. And he's the president of the University of Church Division. And you know where that's located? In the pit of hell. Okay? And guess what? He offers free tuition to attend his school. He doesn't charge anything. It's the school of hatred, lies, division. He doesn't charge anything, but it costs you everything, even your own soul. Don't attend that school. Okay, drop out of those classes. Things like this, we, we got to talk about. We don't have an option. Uh, silence is speaking, oftentimes. So we need to talk about it. We have to talk about it. And if the church can't talk about it, then we're in trouble. And we can't, we can't, we can't let the world decide how to think biblically on these things. The world, the world is going to give us worldly answers. And if the pulpits can't talk about it, then we're in trouble. We want godly men who have studied the scriptures to speak to the truth of these things. We want them to give us the direction. One of the questions that we should ask is, does Christianity have answers for this? I mean, does it have answers? One of the things, it's actually pretty cool, that we're seeing is the acknowledgement by non-Christians of the value of Christianity. Men and women in higher-up positions acknowledging, even though they themselves are not believers, the goodness of Christianity and the impact of it. Can you believe that? Douglas Murray, he's a conservative author and, and columnist. He's an atheist. And he warns that the decline of Christianity is a dangerous thing. And he says society has three options. The first is to reject the idea that all human life is precious. The second, and to quote him, another is to work furiously to nail down an atheist version of the sanctity of the individual. Well, why do you have to work furiously for it? 
it's, it's lacking. It's, it's not there. It's not going to be found. And he says, what if that doesn't work? Then there is only one other place to go, which is back to faith, whether we like it or not. Even Richard Dawkins, who some of you have probably heard his name, at times he's called for Christianity to be destroyed. But he has begrudgingly admitted that Christianity has good effects on society. One other well-respected professor, Tom Holland, I'm going to quote him at length. He's written a book on this subject. Again, an unbeliever. He says, The longer I spent immersed in the study of classical antiquity, the more alien and unsettling I came to find it. So he's talking about the Romans and the, and the Greeks, that, that time period, right? Classical antiquity, the Caesars and all of that. He says, the more alien and unsettling I came to find it. The values of Leonidas, whose, pract- whose people had practiced a peculiar murderous form of eugenics and trained their young to kill uppity upperclassmen by night, were nothing that I recognized as my own. Nor were those of Caesar, who was reported to have killed a million Gauls and enslaved a million more. It was not just the extremes of callousness that I came to find shocking, but the lack of a sense that the poor or the weak might have any intrinsic value. As such, the founding conviction of the Enlightenment, that it owed nothing to the faith into which most of its greatest figures had been born, increasingly came to seem to me unsustainable. Today, even as belief in God fades across the West, the countries that were once collectively known as Christendom continue to bear the stamp of the two-millennia-old revolution that Christianity represents. It is the principal reason, by and large, most of us who live in post-Christian societies still take for granted that it is nobler to suffer than to inflict suffering. It is why we generally assume that every human life is of equal value. And then notice what he says in his conclusion. He's, he's not going to say he's a Christian, but he, this is what he does say. In my morals and ethics, I have learned to accept that I am not Greek or Roman at all, but thoroughly and proudly Christian. So, I mean, he's basing his morality on Christian truths. He's, this atheist is acknowledging that. He's written an entire book defending that, arguing that Christianity has transformed entire societies. And it's true if you know your history and research it well. Even our current society is built on Judeo-Christian values. I mean, obviously, we are losing it, but we're still reaping the rewards and the benefits of a society originally built on the foundation of Christianity. This speaks to the impact. But here's the thing. It not only transforms societies, it transforms individuals. Individuals get changed, and then what happens? They infect and affect the society. Some of you did all sorts of wrong and horrible things before coming to Jesus, and then he got a hold of you. Hallelujah. And some of you were racists, and Jesus got a hold of you, and he changed it. Amen? Now, has different generations of believers had a blind eye towards certain issues? Yes. And our generation has its own. That's not the fault of the Bible. It's the fault of the people reading and misapplying 
the Bible or not applying the Bible. But here's what I want to say to us, friends. We have to make sure that we are clear as brothers and sisters that it doesn't turn into an us versus them thing. The scripture is very clear as believers in Christ that we are united to one another. Okay? It doesn't matter pigmentation. We have Christ that he is our unifying factor. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Look at what he says for as many, verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no, no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? Okay, the walls are broken down. The walls are broken down. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. He says in verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now he's writing to the believers in Ephesus who were primarily non-Jewish. They were the Romans and the Greeks. So he's writing them. That's why he's saying you, 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 you were the uncircumcision. You. You were strangers to the covenant of promise. You didn't grow up with that. You, you weren't Jewish. Then he goes on, verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, in who? Christ Jesus. You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. Made who both one? Right? Jews and Gentiles. Who has made us, me, Paul, and the people traveling with me, and the Jews, and you, Gentiles, you Ephesians. He's made us both one. And look what he's done. He's broken down. Jesus has done this in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. One new man in place of what two? The Jews and the Gentiles. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God, the Jews and the Gentiles, in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. That's what Christ did. Now, even the early church at first struggled with this concept. And some of them were greatly but pleasantly surprised that the plan of God was not just for the Jews. Read through Acts. Like, wow, the message is going to the Gentiles? Really? I thought we were the chosen people. No, the message is for everyone. I mean, it's a beautiful picture, friends. Beautiful. So God is doing this. He's tearing down walls. No Jew, no Gentile. Colossians 3. He says this in verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. That's for each one of us here. We've got to put these away. 
Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Amen. Notice what he says. He mentions barbarian, and then he mentions the Scythian, which were probably the worst of the worst in terms of their practices as a culture. Um, <clears throat> time doesn't permit to go fully into it, but they would take the skulls of their enemies and use them to eat out of. Just to give you a small picture of the Scythian. It's hard to say. Scythians. Okay, if Paul can, can lump them in with the Jews, right? Think about that. And then all the barbarians and all the Gentiles, I mean, he's saying that in Christ, we have a commonality. In Christ, there's no different. This isn't greater, this isn't greater, this isn't. In Christ, we have great worth. We are brothers and sisters. Think about that affectionate term even. To use that term of affection of brothers and sisters. It's a, I mean, it, again, it is beautiful. To be able to call believers in here, not just believers, but brothers and sisters, to be able to call some of you my, my brother, to be able to call some of you my sister, it's a perfect picture of what God has for his family. The church leads the way when it comes to reconciliation. We've been reconciled to God, so we know what it looks like. And we can explain that to others, a reconciliation with God. And yes, the gospel is the answer. The gospel is the answer. The gospel is the answer for our society. It is the answer, friends. We do need to work for reform. We do need to work for laws to be changed. We do that with the pro-life regarding babies, right? Should we not do it for those that need protection in other positions? Think about it. So we need to do that. We need to work. We want society to be reformed. Society gets reformed when believers decide to do more than just talk, but to act. Right, post as much as you want on Facebook. That's great. But, but put those posts into action. Do something. One of the things that I want us to do as a church. I've been praying. I do not believe the timing um, is coincidental and all, but I had come to this conclusion before the events with George Floyd took, took place on Monday. Um, I, the Lord had laid on my heart for some time that we needed to set aside an entire day as a church to pray, a prayer vigil, if you will. And I would like us a week from this Friday, so it would be June 12th, to spend 24 hours, not all of us spending a whole 24 hours, but us as a church taking 24 hours to set aside to the Lord to, to beseech him on a number of issues. One, as I mentioned at the very beginning, we got brothers and sisters in Belize and unbelievers there who still need daily bread. We need to, we need to ask, what's our continued ministry there look like? Do we need to send more money? Two, man, our, 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 man, our society is, is, can't even say that, but it's not going to a good place. 
are we going to be the church to stand up and speak truth, to stand up and love, to stand up and intercede? And if we really believe everything that I've said so far about God just today in this short little message, then certainly we'd want to beseech such a God as this that we can call Father and ask him for good things. He says that he gives good gifts to who? To his children, right? You guys, child, are you children of God? All right. He wants to give good gifts. So I want us to set aside 24 hours. We'll have some slots for you to sign up for that, for us to intercede. I want to encourage you parents, too, to, to have some of your older children partake in that. Maybe 30 minutes might be the longest they've ever prayed by themselves before. That would be a good thing for them to do. Maybe 30 minutes might be the longest some of you have ever prayed before. That'd be a good thing for you to do. But we have a lot to pray for. We have racial issues flaring up all around us. What are we going to do? What will the church do? Well, one, we can pray. We can pray. We can ask God for wisdom. We can ask for voices to speak truth with clarity to these situations. We can ask, what would God have us do right here in O'Fallon? I've got some ideas. We can ask God for his mercy regarding the virus. Uh, when the estimates originally, some, some laugh, but the estimates originally were like 2 million, right? God has been gracious to keep that number nowhere close to that at this point. We can ask him to continue to, to stay his hand for this church, to continue to be gracious to us and then help us minister to those as some of us will get it. We have a lot to pray for. That's just a few things. But I would like us as a church, how can we as a church, because our ministry looks a lot different right now, some of it's limited, some of it's not happening, but I want something that some, some, some of the people that are at home aren't able to join us at this point, and us here, how can we still be a church? Well, I, I believe this is something that we can collectively do together. It might sound simple, but you know what? You, you just look at how God honors prayer throughout the Bible. He hears the prayers of his saints. He hears the prayers of his children. The prayer of a righteous man, what, what does it do? Fails much. Women too. <clears throat> so we'll get you out an email on that with a link to sign up for things. I believe that God places people, he places his church in key positions for times just like this. The church should step up and speak truth. The church should step up and do truth. Let's start with prayer. Let's start with our voices. Let's pray. Father, give us wisdom on these issues. Wisdom is predominantly a white church. Wisdom in ministering to our black brothers and sisters. Not just wisdom, but, but love. Love for the people that are hurting. 
You call us to mourn with those who mourn. So regardless of our feelings, regardless of, of how big or small we might think this is, let us step into the hurt of others because that's what Christ did. And Lord, we, we don't just want it to be about a Sunday sermon. We don't just want it to be about a one-day prayer thing. Both of those are important. But just as, as the culture has issues and falls short, like with marriage, God, the church speaks truth to it then. The issue of the culture tries to address racial issues. The church has to speak truth to it. We have to show our society how these issues are rightly walked through. Don't let us be silent. Lord, let us speak and act in accordance with your word. Give us wisdom from above as you direct us. Lord, I pray for your blessing and your Holy Spirit to minister to the family of George Floyd, his extended family. We pray you'd be with them. Minister to their hearts. Any of his family that might not know you, you might use his death to bring them to know you. We pray for the anger and the hate that is rampant, that believers would speak truth to it, that would share with people. Lord, we pray for these police officers. think of what Jesus said on the cross, they know not what they do. Forgive them, God. Bring that police officer to a place of knowing you if he doesn't. Use this to redeem people for your own, to bring about change, not just societal change, but true change, inner heart change. Lord, I pray for wisdom for the different police departments, for the different mayors and governors trying to deal with stuff landing on their desk by the hour, even by the minute sometimes, having to make split-second decisions that they would cry out to you for help, that they would realize they can't do this on their own, that the task is too big for them, that they need your help, God, and they would get on their knees and seek you. You would hear their prayer and answer it. And Lord, let the church be the church that you want it to be. Let it stand for life. And I pray for myself and Greg and Justice that you'd give us wisdom as we lead liberty through such a time as this. And that you would be glorified in our midst, Father, as we know you are glorified in our midst by the actions that we take, by the words that we speak, 
may we live out truthfully what your scripture says for your glory.